0: Did I read Kelly that you're originally from Bavaria, in the mountains?
1: I grew up there as a child for a big chunk of my youth and came back to the United States in uh, when I was 15. So I did. I was living in uh, Garmisch, south of Munich. It was pretty pretty bananas childhood.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that. That, and I suppose Germany was relatively sort of volatile.
1: It's interesting because, you know, in the 80s, um, I think I left in 89, 88. And, um, you know, Reagan was the peak of his power. You know, the Cold War was going on. And then that was the the source of uh, that was in Garmisch at the time was the it was the recreation center for the whole army, all of Europe. And so everyone there, you know, my my mom and I were part of the big expatriate community there. And uh, everyone was a mountain guide. Everyone was a kayak instructor. Everyone was just, you know, a ski instructor. And so, um, and then simultaneously the military base there was the Russian language military school Institute. So anyone who's learning Russian came there to learn Russian to be diplomats or spies. And so Russia was this just forever looming thing. And then at the time, you remember it was like Firefox and red Dawn and the Russians were always the, you know, the, our, our, uh, Opponents, are enemies. So it was uh, It was a, just a wild time to be in Southern Germany for sure.
0: Absolutely. It was that sort of time at the end of the Cold War was quite a scary time over in Europe. Um, and I can imagine being in Germany during that time was interesting. Yes, I, w-
1: I was invited to Russia and I went this last December. And one of the things they asked me, they're like, they like why do you want to come to Russia? And I was like, well, we have this this sort of alleged Russian sports science, you know, performance science, and whether we like it or not, it's highly influenced us in the West, whether we, however much we've interpreted or thought about it from Bonnerchuk on. Um, and then secondarily, I was like, you guys are the, you know, have been the bad guys in every movie I've ever <laughs> ever watched as a kid. And uh, so, you know, the Kremlin is an abstraction so you're actually standing outside the Kremlin. So, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a great trip, but uh, I got off the airplane there and they definitely were like, so you've never lived, you don't live in Europe. And I was like, you don't live in Europe. And they've never been to Moscow. I mean, I must've just looked like a CIA agent or someone like military dude coming in, you know, to check out what's going on with Ukraine. And I got shuttled into a little room and they were like, stay here, please. <laughs> they took my passport and I was like, well, I am maybe getting on an airplane going back home. And then uh, obviously they started Googling me and they were like, Oh, this guy is the best backstory about stretching ever. So, uh, you know, you can't, you can't make it up, you know, they're like, wow, thousands of videos of stretching. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll let them in. So they let me in. But I definitely was like, this is the, I'm the most sketchy flagged person of all time.
2: It's interesting you say about stretching, because I think I first came across you with your book, The Supple Leopard, you know, you kind of end up in CrossFit, you get your 902s, as it was with me at the time, and then, oh, let's look at this movement stuff, and there, there you are with your supple leopard. Uh, and kind of, that was my introduction to, to you as an individual, and as a, as a practitioner, shall we say, as well, mm. from your background.
1: Well, and I you know, put stretching quotation marks because I'm you know, just trying to belittle all of these sort of highly technical, non-specific conversations that people get in the weeds about. I've thrown out there that sort of this fake word stretching, but really I'm totally agnostic about how you want to reachieve your position. That's totally up to you. If you break chicken necks or want to scrape, you know, yak bones on your body, or, you know, you want to do eccentric isometrics, whatever it is, I think we just need to have a tool to understand what is normative range. What is, what is full range that we all should be achieving because we do all this exercise. We don't have kind of clear goals, clear, clear range of motion goals. What we've done for the past decades, we said, well, as long as you did one more rep or went faster in your 5K or you know, added a kilo to the bar, it must be a better model. And that really doesn't honor the normative or full capacities of the body. And so we need to ask ourselves, and I think you know, you brought up with Supple Leopard is the first, you know, three-fourths of the book is a unified movement theory here's how the physiology of the human gets expressed in the technique of classic strength and conditioning so that you can explain the techniques you're using. You can explain the, the sort of the, what we should see happening. It allows us to predict compensation, which we didn't really have a model to do before. And then we can communicate that. And then, you know, I just tend not to really like it, uh, you know, what we call skill transfer exercises, you know, or corrective exercise. I feel like every movement is a corrective exercise. And I know I'm not giving lip service to that, especially if you slow down or do isometrics. And what I found was when we started dumping in lots of corrective exercises, the main meat of the course of the days training started to go away or attenuate. So suddenly the more correctives are in there, the less under load the athlete is or less condition, less skill we have time to develop. So I prefer language. And I think we needed a lot of corrective exercises earlier on because people were not squatting. People were not pressing overhead. They were not deadlifting. They were not power cleaning. They were not spending time in Bulgarian split squats. So suddenly you need these things, which are really like vitamins to your program. And then somehow we, we confuse vitamins for the program, for the program. Like the best thing to do is eat a real meal, not eat a bunch of vitamins. And so again, I'm a more of a fan of regression and progression in our standard movements. We're going to squat today, no matter what, but just that you're going to gobble squat and squat to a box high under tempo, but everyone else is going to be whatever squat we choose, what the stimulus we're trying to get. So I think that confused people a little bit because the back half of the book of the mobilizations or the last third of the book, whatever it is, is what I call position transfer exercises. Here's a systems approach to, to give you access to your tissues, to input to the brain, to make sure the tissues are sliding, to address stiffness. Whatever it is, whatever the mechanisms are, they were all about getting you into a better position so you could move, so you in a better position so you can load. And I think that's where uh, we've lost our minds a little bit. At least the internet has confuses me deeply.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's looking at the person that's invested in their movement. So the person that is looking at their athletic approach, how they can get better. I guess it would be really interesting to see or understand your ideas on the general population that perhaps haven't walked into a CrossFit box or don't particularly dive into exercise, but the importance of movement and range of movement in terms of reducing frailty as they get older and help Mm -hmm. increase their or or maintain their capacity for movement as they go into their 70s 80s 90s
1: i i appreciate that that sort of view of this thing you know i think we can take this view of this 30,000 foot view and say, do you win fitness? When are you, when did you win squatting? When did you I mean that day, last Tuesday in October where you hadn't eaten a carb in 17 days and you're highly dehydrated and you look shredded in the mirror for one second and you put it on Instagram and you won that day. And then you ate some cake and you were puffy the next day. So, you know, one of the problems with humans is that we aren't very good at thinking in long-term projects around ourselves. And I think if you see what's going on, there's a lot of talk about sort of performance or at least looking good aesthetics, maybe aesthetics drives more of a show. And then this rarely are we talking about what is it required to be durable into your, into this older age? I'm almost 50 years old. Um, You know, I saw Mike Boyle put up something the other day that he took a lot of heat for called the orthopedic cost, And I was like, well, I don't know what that means. And how would I even control for that by drinking more water or sleeping or, being a you know, warming up and cooling down and having good genetics. And, you know, I, I don't think he meant what he meant, but he meant that is, man, if I am only viewing my success by did I put another kilo on the bar or not, that may not indicate that I'm moving as a skilled mover or even accessing the range of motion of of my tissues and something you said is I think is really important we have conflated durability with sort of this notion of high performance and how fit do you need to be to be durable? Think about one of your grandmothers who's probably still alive and she's 117 years old. And you're like, how, what was her deadlift PR when she was 35? You know, and it wasn't what, you know, turns out that sleeping and eating food and walking a ton and sitting on the floor and putting your arms over your head and being active and loading and being in a fun community and having meaning. Those are the things that really set the, the tempo you know set the table for elite performance and make the backbone of what we're doing but i think the the conversation comes when suddenly you look at the data around ankle range of motion and maintaining your you know your center of balance or you know over base of support and suddenly you realize that oh a stiff De- detuned, downregulated foot with no ankle range of motion is a foot that usually goes along with a person who takes a fall when they're in their sixties and seventies, right? Yeah. Shuffle, shuffle, gate. Yeah. That's right. So, what well, we can start to ask then? Well, do I need to be how strong do I need to be? That's a great conversation. I don't know how strong you need to be. Well, it turns grip strength is an excellent indicator. Um, getting up and down off the ground is not a strength test. That's getting up and down off the ground. And that, you know, sitting, you know, that classic test where you sit cross-legged and then get up and down off the ground without using your hands and knees. Yeah. Well, that's really a mid-range range of motion test. And if you aren't strong enough to get up and down off the ground with your body weight, I have to ask you, what the heck are you doing with yourself? Yeah. So what we suddenly see is, you know, hey, a push-up or being able to push up off the chair, excellent test of mortality, but really these are functional tests and, you know, at body weight. And we're not saying you should be able to press your body weight over your head or three quarters of your body weight. Or, you know, I think if you look at George Hebert, who was the original founder of MoveNat in France, um, you know, turn of the century, 19th century, I, like his physical fitness standards are brutal. Like, I don't think you, I think you would struggle to meet the running standards, the swim standards, the gymnastic standards. And I think conversely, or additionally, we've been been thinking about these things for a long time. The presidential physical fitness test in America was brought out by Kennedy because he was recognizing that the youth of America weren't fit enough to be deployed as soldiers. And so he went in and started to think about this from a sort of militaristic view, that if we got kids interested in this in middle school, we might have more physically active kids. The Prussians were into, uh, you know, military science around physicality, you know, very, very early. At this speed, soldiers can march at this load, with at this temperature, and this is what we'd expect. Um, so this is a, a long way of saying that I think humans have been obsessed with, with this performance piece, But yet if we drop in sort of to an anthropological view, we have to ask, well, what is normal about the cultures where people live the longest? And it's not just adding olive oil to your stuff. It's I'm in a happy community. I sleep, I eat whole foods. I sit down and eat dinner. I sit on the floor a lot. And I think what gets confusing is modern people sort of continue to be modern and have the pressures of society where we're slowly eroding the set of behaviors That have been sort of required for humans to be durable, and that means like walking. I mean, that's mechanotransduction. If you want to have an Achilles that works like an Achilles, you better load your Achilles, and you better you load that heel cord eccentrically, isometrically, and concentrically. If you want to have it be a durable tendon, otherwise, the tissues of the body sometimes will not express themselves correctly at a certain level without mechanical input. So. What we suddenly can see is well, where are the sort of adaptation errors in the human, and more importantly now, where in, in society are we going to put this in in a place where people don't have to go to some formal movement class, sitting on the ground? Um, again, all these things that we kind of talk about, you know, are are the basis for our high performance sport and performance, but they create by themselves a durability platform. And if we're going to talk about range of motion it's the one aspect of your body that you actually don't have to lose. You know, you don't have to n- not have the ability to put your arm over your head or squall all the way down to the ground. That's the one aspect of your physiology that you could just keep an eye on and keep touching it once in a while. And it's not an accident in cultures that toilet on the ground, sleep on the ground, the fall risk in their elderly drops to almost zero and hip disease drops to almost zero and lumbar disease almost drops to zero. It's like the body needs to use these things through our normative ranges that every physio, every, every physician on the planet agrees in order for those tissues to remain healthy and for us to have as much movement choice and autonomy as we need. I, I totally agree. And I think the things
0: you talked about there about what people should be able to do that a lot of people can't do yeah. is to me quite a depressing thought Because everybody should be able, I I do believe everybody should be able to do a set of basic movements such as bend down and touch your toes without, without stiffness or anything or pain preventing you from doing that with, with a, with a straight leg. I will add to that.
1: (laughs) I'll even go with straighter leg. (laughs) Straighter, Yeah. Okay.
0: (laughs) You know, know,
2: that was really interesting as well. Um, In Richard Lieberman's exercise, he talks about when he's sitting with the women at the tribe, they're all scooched down on their haunches. And he's like, I'm so used to sitting in a chair that within two minutes, he's seizing up and they're laughing at him as he's having to kind of extricate him from that position because his body's just not used to being in that range of movement. And (laughs) we have lost it because we don't need, in in inverted commas, to be in that position, you know, life is set up that we don't have to support ourselves in a, in a lower position as groups. We tend to sit on sofas or chairs.
1: And so and there's three things that we should talk about. One is that people are products of their environment. And so I agree with you, but if we've never asked anyone to keep an eye on their movement vital signs that, I mean, people now know what SAO2 is and they can look at temperature and they can do some sophisticated measurements. Why can't we put hip range of motion in there? You know, I was saying, Hey, I noticed your, your cholesterol is through the roof. <laughs> like maybe you just can't eat bacon three meals a day. People are like, Oh, and I need to sleep and do some, eat some fiber too. I'm like, cool. Like now let's talk about your hip extension. You know I mean? It, we just haven't put these movements into a set of vital signs that everyone can sort of understand that, you know, that this, this is normative motion and, the part, part of the problem is that because human beings are so tolerant right and then it's really then the physios are saying things like well it's impossible to you know pre- prevent injury i'm like oh are you talking about injury or are you talking about pain because injury and pain are not the same thing and what we've done is put pain into central sort of conversational point here because if i just take away your pain with a bottle of Bushmills or you know you know a slab of uh you know you know whatever it is you want to drink you know you drink all the guinness i can make all your pain go away very quickly and we haven't changed any other aspect of your tissue system so if we look at someone like philip beach and the writing of philip beach in his great book muscles and meridians you know he has come to believe that one of the ways that the body tunes itself is by sitting on the ground and that sitting side saddle and high kneel and squatting and all of these things you know we look at the powerlifters and they invented Louis Simmons invented this thing called the reverse hyper machine where you hang your legs off and jump into a, like a leg swing. One of the things I think he got out of that was this mid range position where his athletes got to have their coccyx on their sacrum move in the same direction as the pelvis, instead of saying, seeing those things normally locked into extension. And what he found was, Oh, everyone's back does better. If we see the, the sacrum and the pelvis articulate in the same direction at the same time versus when we stand up, boom, those things get locked so we can handle larger loads. And that's the same thing that happens to the body when you just go into a deep squat and you squat butt to ankle and you reverse. Again, not handling, the. but that's the same pattern where we suddenly are gapping joints, we're taking out of those extension positions, rehydrating and normalizing these tissues. I mean, the yogis called it malasana, right? And if you hang out in this bottom position of the squat, you know, again, that should be effortless. And for most people, they struggle to get all the way down. So there's that thing that you're talking about here where we say, Hey, you know, what is it we should be able to do? People are products of the system. We can't blame them until we reshape the system, but it really does beg the conversation now, are we going to put in complicated technical solutions to complex human behavior? And I think what it feels like is that that human behavior is so complex that we can't control for anything. And we know that that's not true. You know, uh, I love to rub in physios faces They're like, we can't control for, in- for injury. I'm like, well, there's actually not true, and if we look at the data that suggests that when kids don't sleep very well, they're more likely to get injured in, you know, high school, you know, footy. You know, I'm like, well, then is sleeping is a control for injury? And so suddenly you're like, well, that's not what I meant. I'm like, yeah, I know what you meant. You meant like those three tens, three sets of ten clamshells prevent me from cutting. And the answer is no way.
2: But that, you know, there's a that's the product of of people not taking a holistic approach, isn't it? Yeah, And as health professionals, too often we are problem-focused as opposed to whole picture focused.
1: You know, it's easy to be that way. And some of that, I believe, comes as an artifact of the fact that the system isn't set up to be able to give people what they need. So around musculoskeletal care we're still treating musculoskeletal interventions in the sort of same way that if you go to the physician because you have a raging sinus infection or you've got a heart problem a physician gets very little musculoskeletal training and may only have 8 minutes to talk to you about your what's going on so tell me about your warm up Tell me about your cool down. Tell me about your daily lifestyle. Can you tell me how many fruits and vegetables you ate and protein? Do you have, have we run the genetics on your, you know, you know, predisposition for Achilles tetanopathy. Oh, by the way, let me watch you run. Oh, those are like, you see that the thing falls apart in a second. And then if the physio comes in and they're going to see you for 30 minutes every two weeks, how can the hell can that person possibly program to your deficits Besides just give you a talk about, don't worry about pain, you know? So what we see is maybe we're using our medical establishments wrong and that if you're seeing a physio, it's because you can no longer do your activities of daily living or you're seeing a physician and physio because your pain is so bad, you can't go to work or occupy your role in the family. Maybe, or you've just had a surgery and we need to make sure that you can go up and down the crutches safely. Right up and down the stairs. So the rest of this though, it turns out maybe a carpeted physio room with one pound weights isn't the place to challenge people's ability to maintain their positions and load. And so what we get is, well, here's the minimalist input I can give into your tissues to get you pain-free. And again, if your shoulder stops hurting after you've you know fallen on it and now, but you don't have range of motion, you can't load, you're not at return. Has that thing fully healed? No, it hasn't. And so what we've done is said, Hey, you're good enough and you're out of pain. No longer my problem We kick people out into the curb. So we need to do more to invest in teachers who teach math and reading and maths. And if they can teach my kid to read, they can teach my kid to squat. Right. And they can, they can be in these movement positions. Where are people getting their fitness information from trainers, from coaches, so we need to shift the whole thing around and say, man, who is spending three to five hours a week coaching and training people? Those are happening in gymnasiums. And how do we help people understand that this systems approach, which is called lifestyle, is not optional, that you cannot be trashing your sleep and drinking every single night and not eating a fruit and vegetable and fiber and not getting enough protein and then wonder why you, you strained your Achilles in a pickup basketball game. You know, so we're going to have to start to simplify that for people and change how we're thinking about these kinds of health conversations, because it's going to be a competitive advantage to those who do. Yeah.
0: So I'm sorry, Paul. And I just jump in. I've got a very quick question. I know you've got a question, but just before we sort of move on to maybe something else, I think, Kelly, you said that you can't blame people because of the way things are structured. But people created the structures. People came up with the institutions. We're, we're all responsible for the things that are affecting how we live now and the things that people deem important and the things yeah. that people deem to, the way in which they should be, which I think we all agree probably is probably misplaced and probably isn't focused on what it should be which is your nutrition your sleep your movement your ability to perform normal tasks that everybody should be able to do i think as humans we've kind of failed in that to a certain extent and we need to put it right and we need to do something about that and i think that's the challenge for me and that's the that's where we need to head towards but i don't know i'm worried about that based on where we are at the moment (laughs)
1: Yeah, let's just say that you should be worried about that. And what I'm saying is that, yes, our institutions, which we created, but if you can sell candy and fizzy drinks to middle schoolers and kids in elementary school and primary school, and they don't have PE and they don't walk a bunch to get there, you know, at some point, those kids come out of those systems and parents can't manage a ton of that. I mean, like, you know, kids are on the tech all day long, you know, pull it out of their hands. So we're on the one hand, what I'm saying is until people have better information and they're not overwhelmed by the fact that they're like, well, this thing says keto. So it must be good for me. Cause it's, you know, these cookies, are keto cookies. Right. And, and, you know, the calorically dense foods, <clears throat> what we're realizing, and as you said, I think particularly in the pandemic is um, you know, if, And my favorite book is Dune. So bear, bear with me. But, you know, he puts his hand in the box and she says, our test is crisis and observation, you know, and he's like, I see the truth of it. It was gnarly. Well, here we've just stress tested society. And what we found is that we are now fatter and more depressed and we didn't know how to train at home and, you know, cooking things that we took for granted society that our relationships weren't couldn't be maintained over Zoom. Um, I would say that we did poorly and that we were doing poorly and then we stress tested the system and what we had was a population who hadn't been prepared to be able to handle the basics and uh, people just self-soothe. And so anyone reaching for, for you know, bourbon or, or you know, chips was uh, just, a you know, biscuits was you know, reaching for the thing that they've taught been taught makes them feel better so when you sort of look at the animal as like, hey, let's avoid pain and go for self-soothing, you know, it's really difficult to keep your hand in the box unless you've been taught that I have to continue to walk. I have to sit on the ground. I have to control what I can control. How do we help people change behavior because they see, they feel better in the mean run, right? That they get the short-term gain because, you know, how like tension lung cancer, it's a bummer, trust me. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, and you know, I think not didn't, don't have cancer today. How That's hard is it to quit smoking?
2: Isn't it? And it's trying to say, look, we need to be planning 10, 15, 20 years down the line because yeah. of the impact of what you're doing now is gonna pay forwards. And we tend to have more of a sick service as opposed to a health service. For so sure. People come looking for sure. for, for quick fixes. Oh, I'm in pain, it's not right. I want some pain relief. Well, hold on a second. Let's have a look and see what's going on, if we do these exercises, it's going to take a bit lot longer, but actually your, your outcomes are going to be much better going forwards. And if you look at um, claudication of lower limb vessels, and then having an arthroplasty to open up the blood vessels, or just walking distance, and slowly increasing your walking distance, short-term outcomes are much better for uh, sort of cleaning out those blood vessels but actually long term you can get much better outcomes through walking tolerance and it's trying to sell that and it's using that kind of motivational interviewing to try and help people get past the quick fix and look at the long-term picture which is really difficult in 10 well, 12 minutes
1: and i think you really bring it up how is it that this is the first time a person has heard this? I keep expecting to end up in a room where everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I know all this. What else? What else you got? I've got all this down. Because that's, that's where we need to go. This is where I think some of our health approach needs to start much earlier. So let me give an example. Um, You know, the English national soccer team is a team we've worked with. And we're suddenly see a generation of young English footballers who are starting to really push the, the performance communities because they realize that this durability, strength, tissue health, recovery, nervous system, arousal state was a competitive advantage that also extended their careers and gave made them more money. Mm-hmm. So I think we can take that as like one is that we can make the change. But we need to start a generation or two earlier. And we're going to have to start working and putting this in so that kids know how to cook, right? Like home ec, that kids know how to shop at a grocery store, that kids understand that, well, I've been walking for an hour a day. In the UK, you have something called the the Daily Mile started by a person, right? And, And how many... Sports teachers? Do you need or administrators? It's just a daily mile, and if kids want to run it because they're ADD, cool. If if the kid, the Goth kids, just want to be emo, they have still have to walk the daily mile. It doesn't matter what the mile is, and ultimately, it doesn't matter. Yes, we'd like to have some high intensity exercise or modern vigorous exercise, but the first order of business is to cover these bases. And once we start to do that, then we'll start to see a generation that's come up and been. Prepared for the conversation in the, in the market, and/or we're going to have to. There was a great book uh, came out last year called "Ministry for the Future" by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is about near-term environmental collapse. And it opens with a heat wave in India that kills 25 million people. And as I'm reading this, I'm driving through the West uh of of the united states and i'm driving through crazy fires and huge smoke Mm. and i'm like oh okay this is it and we're in the this mega drought and i'm like okay and we're suddenly like the colorado river is running out of water i mean these are these are really you know topical issues we're seeing you know wait wait you think wearing a mask is a problem Wait until we have 10 million climate change refugees like that that's gonna happen but what the book is secretly about is what are the axes of power and what are the levers of power in society where you can get the carrot and the stick approach, where you can create a carbon coin, where, you know, suddenly government constrains the environment so that people do the right thing. And I think that's one of the things that we have to be thinking about is asking ourselves, how do we constrain a system so that you don't have to make a choice that, you know, for children, a daily mile is everyone participates in the daily mile. And that's a constraint. If there's no soda at school, kids won't drink soda at school. I mean, it's it's that simple, right? If if every parent knew that you know all technology has to go off at ten o'clock or nine thirty or ten, and the phone needs to be out of the room, then suddenly we don't have to worry about our kids you know being on the telly and 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 playing because there are these sort of constraints to behavior. And it's just like constrainment therapy after someone has had a cerebral bav- vascular accident, right? If someone's got, we see it, we call it disuse atrophy, right? When we see it in the brain. And so you constrain the well limb and you make this, this challenged limb or the affected limb work really hard. We do the same thing in our training at the gym. Why don't we do the same thing across behavior? And I'll start with myself. I just can't buy cookies because I'll eat all the cookies. So if there's cookies in the house, biscuits in the house, I'm going to crush. The biscuits are not safe until they're gone. So the only thing I can do is not to have biscuits in the house.
0: But then what you'll do is you get to the point where you've programmed yourself out of looking at cookies in the same way as everybody else. So when you see a cookie, after that period of weaning yourself off them, it becomes a difference. It just becomes something that you're completely ambivalent to. So you don't have the same craving that you used to because you've programmed yourself away from it.
1: You know, um, there have been where we're going to see. I think we have a real possibility for change is if we keep putting businesses on the hook for people's health care, especially in the United States, that's how people get their health care to so their business, then it's competitive advantage to have less sick workers at your office and people are dumping money down this drain hole for, I mean, it's, it's pretty b- b- bonkers. You know, when we're, what we have to be thinking then as you're, as you're saying is how, where are the ch- places we can make these changes? Uh, there was a big petrochemical company in the Bay area that locked everyone out of their computers for five minutes, every hour the computer system would be like you're freezing now cook, and everyone would be like god ah! and they stand up and walk around and talk to each other and you know if you put the cigarette break further and further away turns out the healthiest people in the whole building are the cigarette smokers so they have to get up and walk out to have the cigarette break <laughs> so how can we make those changes so it doesn't feel you know everyone should be fighting to stand on the subway right on the underground they should not be fighting to sit so if you Constrain your little environment and look at the places where you have some agency in the day. I'm going to get up and I'm going to eat a vegetable and a protein before I leave the house because once I leave the house, who knows what happens, right? I'm going to go for a quick walk after every meal. And pretty soon that aggregates into 30 minutes of of movement during the day. And I'll take 30 minutes of movement. Is that ideal? No, but that's 30 minutes, three 10-minute walks. Holy crap. In the evening, maybe I can do some soft tissue work or I can keep a foam roller by the, the, the TV and I can have some input or work on. I mean, what you see is suddenly you have some windows of agency where we can make people feel better and understand that, you know, a Peloton in every house in America does not solve the problem. <laughs> you know, making people, you know, with these complex technological solutions, that is not the way out of this hot mess at all.
2: The Peloton just becomes a nice clothing rack.
1: Well, I think people do Peloton, but they don't take their hip into extension, and now they think, "Oh, I don't need to do any of this else because I just led through the ice on this Peloton, right? I don't need to walk, I don't need to sit on the ground, or do any other strength training. I, you know, I don't have to change my eating. In fact, now I can drink more margaritas because I did the Peloton. So, you know, and what we then have confused is basic cardiorespiratory input or. You know, making people more insulin sensitive with a body that's more durable and yet we see a ton of people on the peloton who you know make their, make their situations worse I don't understand I'm super fit well your ankles don't work anymore and they've been super stiff in these little boots so now what and I, again I, I think it can feel really confusing with people you know my wife is a three-time world champion we run our company together and we're on the internet trying to understand the messages that are being sent out and it can feel hyper confusing mm. to the average person who is not in this vertical of wellness and fitness.
2: Yeah, and I think we take for granted what we can do until all of a sudden we can't do it. And too, often, and too often we don't understand how that, how we've got to that point. So like you right. take, take your person on the peloton, they don't understand that being in the position they are has lost that movement within their action, their ankle, their dorsiflexion, and not extending their hips or getting their hamstrings through full engagement. And it's gone, but they don't understand why it's gone.
1: Yeah. You know, as soon as you sort of have the vision, you suddenly jump into yoga and you're like, Oh, these people knew what was going on, right? This is a movement practice. Or you you jump into a Pilates class and you're like, Holy crap, Joseph, audience was not messing about right and then you, you suddenly you're like oh olympic lifting that's why they do rows and bench press because they need to augment the movements in their olympic lifting groups you know you suddenly get into a kettlebell swinging platform and you really understand that you know it's a pretty complete practice and then we can argue about degree and which way is the best way to prepare you for a 5k and how you're going to integrate this into your athletic performance those are great conversations to have do I need to bench press and squat two times a week or three times a week? I don't know. Are you in season? Are you out of season. You playing NFL or are you in position? So those conversations, I think, uh, I think um, Freud calls this the narcissism, the small differences when adjacent communities fight over technical errata and minutia, they end up killing each other and being hyper unsuccessful and they don't change what they're attempting to change because they're so petty around the differences between their thinking or those differences or how they're marking themselves or self-identifying. So, you know, what I see is let me give everyone a grade who's in health and fitness and wellness. You get a a D, you know, we're not choose anything. Are we seeing fewer orthopedic surgeries? Is there less pain? Is there less dysfunction? How are fall risks going? How about ACL injuries? Just choose something you give a crap about in your world. Diabetes, depression, you know, diabetes. And what you see is every single metric of human health is trending in the wrong direction in these Western countries. So now I'm like, okay, that's the test. Your last system for the last 10 years isn't working very well. What now?
2: I don't have the complete answer. <laughs> I'll
0: be no. will be When we we spoke to Jeff Martin um, a little while back and Jeff said to us that, Jeff said when they're looking at people for picking kids from college and things for whatever the sport is, they're looking for well-rounded people who can move well and who have a good range of motion because they know when they have those people they can then train them in the specifics of whatever that sport might be. And I think that's an interesting theory about the idea of being able to move well first and foremost, to be able to then put that to whatever you want it to be. Whether you're an elite athlete, whether you're just a weekend warrior, whether you're just doing your 5Ks at the weekend or or whatever that is, being able to move well first and foremost allows you to do a lot of things.
1: Yeah, so let me ask you the question: Whose responsibility is that range of motion? Where does that top
0: But you know, it's, if, it's mine. It's it's a right. personal but if
1: responsibility. You, <laughs> we'd like to, we'd like that, but what I'm going to say is, who's keeping an eye on that? You know, do you take your blood pressure every day? No, nope. you take your temperature every day. You know, so what we see is that you don't. So imagine the the silliness of this screen where i go see my physician twice a year and they take a snapshot of me that morning and then you know i'm either healthy or not healthy where we want and what juliet and i have been working on for you know 15 years now is more closely conjoining the diagnostic tool with the stimulus for adaptation how do we take what it is you're doing every day and help you interpret that and of, Hey, I need to keep an eye on this. You know, the all blacks would do like Tuesday was ankle day. And it was a day where they could all look at the ankle on Tuesday and say, Hey, how are we doing? Is this, are we, are we staying near minimums? Are we developing compensation around this? But until, you know, we and kids are in systems if they're in PE and no one's identifying these range of motion deficits or capacity deficits, And it's not even part of the language of fitness, then we shouldn't be surprised when people are missing their internal rotation and tear their labrum. Or, you know, I mean, just there's a lot of things that I think we can improve the system a lot. And what Juliet and I have become is hyper reasonable people, and we're like, hey, let's just. I know we're working through your pain, and pain is a complex, highly subjective experience. Comma, you don't have any range of motion here. So what if we can control that? You can control your range of motion. Let's improve your range of motion. And oftentimes, you know, where we've gotten into, you know, the narcissism of small things debate again is, well, if, if we restore people's range of motion or improve the range of motion, oftentimes the brain says, well, something's changed. Now it's non-threat. And was that range of motion? Was it the tissue change? Was it hydration there? Was it the neurodynamics there? Was it the, the fascia being, you know, was it improved muscle function? Who knows what the mechanism is, but it seems like it's something we can tr- control. And if, if you, if you just write within normal limit or aren't looking at that or hey you're you're out of pain and you can do your you can brush your teeth right good to go then that is not the same thing as you know keeping an eye on what is human beings should be able to do so you know i think with children we had a lot of games hopscotch and monkey bars and you know jacks and these old games that allowed us to maintain and at least play in some of these ranges and then adults man we just like put on the gloves and the you know, the mittens and the sleeping bag and you stop moving and you stop feeling and sensing. And no wonder the brain gets a little bit crazy.
2: Yeah. Isn't that isn't that part of the problem that um, the emphasis is not on those things? I mean, if, yeah. Know, a, you know, physical education generally is about controlling the class and make sure they get through it as opposed to identifying those bits. And actually as we get older it's about well have you got a career can you do this can you get your mortgage have you got the house have you got the cars it's not about can you can you go for a 20 mile walk just because you want to can you kneel on the floor and get back up can you sit on the floor those things aren't seen as high status but actually they make a big difference
1: what we end up saying is sitting is bad (laughs) we're like well you know you were able to sit for a long time but now sitting is causing you pain. So, you know, yes, we can change your sitting environment and have you move more and spend less time at this position, but also notice that you can't flex your hip all the way and you have no internal rotation or external rotation. Your rotation window is is garbage and you don't know how to extend your hip. And wow, it's almost like the whole upper torso lumbar system onto the pelvis can't get stabilized and organized because you've removed the primary stability through the femur because you're sitting all the time. No wonder your pelvic floor doesn't work and the adult diaper industry is a billion dollar industry. And what we have to start asking is, what is it humans should be able to do first to get that message and how do we advance that message so that people can begin to feel it themselves? And as you're saying, it's your responsibility, and our hypothesis is that you begin to work on this a little bit in the evening, because for the first time, whatever the reason is that you're interested in it, because you're in pain or can't do a skill or you know makes you feel better so you can sleep better, we don't care. We're agnostic about the reasons why you begin to have some input, but you know, how do we democratize that, and then how do we empower people to understand what the basics are, and then be curious about their bodies. As you know, if you work in a hospital, you know, be around people who've fallen in their 70s and have a hip fracture and then perish because uh, their world gets smaller and smaller and they lose their muscle mass and become orthostatic. And, you know, it's really a complicated thing because humans are so durable and we can put up with so much silliness and you can eat all the little chocolate cakes and smoke all the cigarettes until one day your tissues, you know, give up as physios, you know, for a long time, we've said, Hey, nutrition is not part of my practice scope. I'm like, Oh, is it? So I can talk about how your brain is perceiving your tissues. And I can talk about what your tissues are supposed to do. But talking about the components that make up your tissues is an off limits piece. That seems really ridiculous. Right. And I'm talking about being revolutionary. Like, why don't you eat more fruits and vegetables? Why don't you eat more protein? You know, um, you know, now it's to sort of the place that if I work with someone who's in persistent pain or chronic pain, I'm making them track their sleep because I don't believe it. And what we see is that when we can suddenly measure things, we can manage things. Right. And so what we're, you know, if you just ask people, well, do you sleep? They'll always say, yeah, of course I sleep. I'm like how much, well, you know, giving people a benchmark, you know, we believe that seven hours is the minimum threshold for survivable. Eight hours is our dream. But se- if you want to get out of pain, or grow, or lose body weight, or you're a growing kid, or you're doing a sport activity. You got to get eight hours of sleep. That means you may need to bed for nine hours to get eight hours of sleep because upward an hour of disruption is totally normal. But once we've given people this benchmark, seven is our minimum threshold for survivability. Then people can be like, "Oh, I got to I got to organize myself to at least get seven here, right?" And, I, you know, and of course, have a baby, start a job, be a physician, work overnight, be a truck driver. Yeah, sometimes your sleep is going to be, you know, dog poo, and that's okay. What we'll do is get you back on track as soon as you can. And you know that, hey, I can buffer this for a while because I'm a human, comma, I'm going to have to get that sleep back if I want to have tissues that are robust.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think what we can do is, in terms of responsibility that we we can do as humans and as a society is prioritize the important things and to me the important things are being able to move well being able to sleep well being able to pay that forward in terms of future health and not not you know not be infirm and not able to move in the future above having a nice car on the outside the house or above having a fancy handbag because to me one side of that is far more important than the other
1: well, if you've ever had a glimpse where someone takes your health away or something takes your health away, or impacts it, you know, and let's be honest, human beings, we throw some air signals once in a while, disease happens, trauma happens, accidents happen. And now we're just talking about your ability to recover from these things, which kill us or challenge us. And, you know, in the United States, we hear a lot of you know fitness professionals talking about, well, the problem with COVID is that we're not talking about health. And I'm like, so you thought your 30-second rant on TikTok or Instagram was going to change fundamentally some complex behavior? Because you're like, you know the real problem is that everyone's fat and doesn't work out. I'm like, cool. Where are you making those changes? Where are you working? How are you changing the system? So anyone who's sort of virtue signaling that way, you know, yes, universally, that if we have a populace that is moves around more and sleeps more and eats more food more, then we're going to have a more robust populace. And, you know, the research around obesity and diabetes coming on the pipeline is that it's going to bankrupt our system and just, you know, insulin and, you know, dialysis clinics in, in you know, in a few, few years, you know, 20 years from now. And, you know, what we're going to see is a population and maybe, we can have the simultaneous idea that the slow pace, the glacial pace is as fast as we can transform society. So in the meantime, we need more of us in different voices and in different places talking about the same thing. And that's so that people can hear it from their physician, from their physio, from their coach, from their teacher, from their parents and say, this is what humans do. And that's what we do. And you can do it for a while until it becomes a competitive advantage. But, uh, and I'll let you know in 10 years how how we're doing, you know what I mean? You know, I mean, I think this is really the, the key is that, um, you know, uh, if we're going to untangle some of these things, we need to simplify it for people. And as you say, the first order of business is to do the thing. You know, so we tell people, hey, look, if your sleep's not perfect, just get into bed a half hour earlier tonight. And if you're in bed a half hour earlier, chances are you'll go to sleep a half hour earlier because you're in bed a half hour earlier. And if you got an extra three or 30 minutes of sleep in two weeks, you've slept in a whole nother day. That's crazy. You've got a whole nother day of sleep just by being in bed 30 minutes earlier. If you want to start to improve your hip range of motion, start by sitting on the ground tonight while you're watching the telly or, you know, on the TikTok. just sit on the ground. It's going to be uncomfortable, but in a week, it'll be less com- uncomfortable. You know, if you want to walk, Well, today it's going to be 10 one-minute walks in your living room because that's all you can do because you're in pain and chronic pain. But next week, it'll be 11 one-minute walks. And pretty soon, what we realize is that all of these things are trainable. All of these things can adapt, but we have to give the brain the input and permission to begin to perceive this is what's up. Otherwise, we should not expect any different outcomes. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not convinced, but I, we, we have the choice. We, either, we're going to begin to think differently about the problem or we're going to continue to live and just say, well, some of us, it's going to be a competitive advantage because we happen to grow in the right neighborhood and had the right access because I was a white upper middle-class man. And so I was able to get into fitness early on and, you know, and then we're going to have people who have never been exposed to this information and they're going to be, you know, stratified in society that, because they're so sick and so uh you know we're either going to get better at at sickness care or we're going to have to change something fundamental and again i think that the teacher and the family and the neighborhood is the functional unit of change here
0: yeah i'd agree um kelly i would love to talk for a long time open-ended but i appreciate you've got another appointment to get to after this
1: well i'll tell you what I really love to talk about human performance. I've got Olympians out there pushing right now. Um, You know, I get to work with the best athletes in the world. It's super fun. The thing we're talking about today is the most important thing. And if we don't begin to take the lessons we're learning in high performance sport and society and high pressure and translate it back and try to transform our society, then Sport is just circus instead of a living laboratory where we can really begin to understand what humans could be capable of. And I just don't think it's that that remarkable, honestly, that, you know, let's say that my wife had a, a plant, you know, and she went away in college and put this plant in her locker, like in a storage room for a year. And she came back and pulled it out, and gave it a little water, a little sun, and the thing blew back up after being in the darkness for a year. And I suspect humans are even more capable than that plant. That if at no point can we stop healing or or reverse change, the human being is the most sensitive system on the planet. And there's we can start at any time, but hopefully, and it's it's starting earlier because it's easier to do those things earlier. Sure. Yeah.
2: Where can people find you, Kelly, if they want to?
1: Well, if you, if you need more of my ranting and my, uh, my, my crazy monkey brain, uh, we are at the ready state. And um, we actually even have a movement self-assessment on our app, which I think is really good because I've seen... You know, I'm a physio and I've seen everyone's movement assessments. And I think I have the, currently the best self-assessment on the planet. But if you wanted to see what your range of motion minimums are and how you're doing and then get some program for that, it's all free. You can do that for a couple of weeks. So uh, come over to the ready state and see what's up. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah. Pleasure. And uh, hopefully we'll be over to Europe before too soon. So uh, we'll have to get together. Would like that a lot.
0: Yeah, that would be cool.
1: Pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much.